Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our services. We're carrying on with the series in application of what we've learned from God's Word, and to know that as we listen to God give our lives to Him, everything that we learn from Him finds obedience and application in our lives. So today, we're going to be dealing with fear and anxiety. So can you do yourselves a favour, attending to people around you and ask them, what are your top three fears in life? Your top three fears in life. And I can tell you what is disqualified from that list, your mother-in-law, right? So you cannot put mother-in-law in there, cannot put boss in there. What are your top three fears? Let's have a go at it. So that hopefully warms us up, gets us going, thinking together about this thing called fear and anxiety. And I'm going to use them quite interchangeably as a family of terms, though there are distinctions between them in our modern day world, where we think of fear biblically or think of anxiety clinically. So here are some uncommon phobias that I found in preparing for this. And some of the uncommon phobias that we find in this world, the first one comes on. Oh, we go backwards. It's common fear of the number 13. And then specific fear of Friday the 13th. Right? You know if you go to the West, in many places you catch the lift, number 13 is missing. Or you build the high-rise buildings, number 13 is missing, it just goes from 12, 14. Right? And it's there. But for us in Asia, especially the Chinese folk, the number 4 in some of our dialects sounds like death. So we don't like the number four, and it's called tetraphobia. So I'm going to ask you globally, what are the top ten fears globally? And this is what I found on one website. Drum roll, number one. Number one fear globally is fear of spiders. <laughs> then snakes, then heights, then open spaces. This one I cannot understand. Who would actually fear dogs? Being a dog lover myself. Fear of thunderstorms, fear of small spaces. So some people fear open spaces that I'll get lost there. This is a vacuum that's going to suck me in. Some people fear the, the small spaces is going to kill them. Fear of germs, fear of flying, fear of holes that are falling here. And it just goes on. Is that true? That's true. Which tells you, actually, after the sermon yesterday, somebody came up to me and said, this list must be a Western list. Because if this is an Asian list, a Singapore list, a Malaysian list, the fear of cockroaches and the fear of lizards will be number one, not spiders. So you can put it, fear of cockroaches and lizards, number one, right? And so what does that tell us? Can we agree as a starting point that fear is one of our most common human experiences? And you and me need to start to ask why. From the insects that shake our security, from the tiny insects that shakes my whole security as a man, as a woman, to the people I don't like out there in school and at work, or just out there in public, to the events that happen around me that I cannot control, they seem to strike fear and anxiety in each and all of us. And so today we're going to travel and do a biblical survey of fear and fear, what it means, there are multiple dimensions of this in the Bible, but I'm going to take one in terms of God and taking His Word in our lives. Then we're going to look at different manifestations of fear today. So the second part or the final portion might be slightly more medical, clinical, and more holistic. Then we're going to um, look at how do we overcome fear. So that's where we are travelling today. Firstly then, a biblical survey. And we begin with Joshua in the Old Testament, a figure called by God, and three Ps to notice here. God had made a promise, first P, to His people about His purpose. His purpose was to take them out of slavery in Egypt and lead them to this place called the Promised Land. The specific name of the Promised Land is Canaan. There's only one thing Israel needed to do, that before Israel settles in that land, she has to empty the land out of who? This is not a racist statement. She had to empty the land out of idolaters. 
all the Canaanites worship man-made idols. God was making a promise to His people to fulfill His purpose of true worship of God. So when Israel enters that land, it is to be cleansed and divested of pagan worshippers. Pagan worship and filled with the worship of the true and the living God. Just in case we misunderstand the significance of what holy war was. It's not racism. It's about the worship of the true and the living God. So Joshua was raised by God to take his generation into that land. And by the grace of God, he succeeded. So, the words to Joshua. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Repetition, twice. Be careful to obey all the law, my servant. So the leader before then and the generation under Moses, the Moses gave you. Do not turn to the right, do not turn to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. In other words, Israel was to bet her life on the law of God. Bet her life on the God of the law so that you might be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful in the land, fulfilling God's purpose to worship Him and to glorify Him. Have I not commanded you? Third repetition. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. To truly understand Joshua's leadership and his generation that entered the Promised Land, you have to understand Moses and the generation before that he led. So Moses and the generation before, captured for us in Deuteronomy, the idea seemed good to me, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 23. So I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up to the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking, taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down and reported to us, it is a good land, as the good Lord has told us, the good Lord has given to us. But, notice, they came back with a report that it was a good land as God had promised them, but you were unwilling to go up and you rebel against the command of the Lord your God. You grumble in your tents. Be very careful. Tents is your private space. Be careful what you say to God in your hearts, with your lips, in your HDB flat, in your condos, in your house. Be careful what you say to God in your car. Be careful because in, with God, there is no dichotomy between your private life and your public life. That is a false dichotomy. You grumble against Yahweh in your tents in your private spaces, and you said in your private spaces, the Lord hates us. I want you to contrast verse 25 and verse 27. Verse 27, they go out and the evidence, the, the, the proof is in the eating of the pudding. It is a good land because it's a good God who made a good promise. But they reach the conclusion, the Lord hates us. That is a bipolar situation. How on earth did they reach the conclusion? The Lord hates us. He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us to the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. So they say that the cause of this fear is not themselves. It was this report that their brothers brought them. They say, the people are stronger and taller than us. So just imagine NBA basketball players. Then we are. The cities are large. And in the old days when you fight the city, the number one thing you've got to figure out is how solid are their walls because they were all fortresses or castles. How solid is that wall? And the walls reach up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord, Yahweh your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as He did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord carried you as a father carries his son. So the picture of God's relationship with them was father-son, father-son, a most intimate relationship. And what did God do with them in, in Egypt? Egypt was the most powerful military with the best intelligence service in the world at that time. They lived as a bunch of slaves. 
How could a bunch of slaves ever free themselves from the most well-policed state in the world at that time? God, by His power, drowned out the Egyptian army. You saw the might of God destroying the number one surveillance army of the world. And so you can trust me to, to vacate the land of your strong and tall enemies, no matter how strong their fortresses are. In spite of this, verse 32, you did not trust the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in the cloud by day, to search out places for you, the God who goes into the future with us, before us, with us, before us, to show you the way you should go. So God is your ultimate GPS. You don't need a GPS with God. You just trust God and you trust His Word and His will. That was Moses and his generation. So lessons to learn for us. The root cause of fear was for them. Did you notice? Verse 26, But you rebel against the Lord. And then because you rebel against is there such a thing of, like, of this good God and His good purposes? I can't see where He's taking us. All we're facing now is desert, desert all around. You grumble in your hearts, you grumble in your private spaces, and then you make the accusation that God hates you, and God brought you out. You're now stuck in no man's land. So on the tour of Israel two years ago, they brought us to the starting point where they entered the promised land. I looked down there and said, if I was in Moses' generation, I would have done exactly the same. Because miles and miles of nothing, just desert. And so you can't go back to Egypt. You can't go forward to the Canaanites' land because they are huge. You're stuck there and you think you're stuck here to die. Our brothers made us fear, but ultimately it did, they did not trust God. So the first thing to note is that when we explore the issue of fear and anxiety, it's never a stand-alone thing. Here itself is a combination of five things put together. Fear is not a silo experience. You never just wake up and say, huh, I'm fearful. Never. Things have contributed to that. So spiritually speaking, there's rebellion, there's grumbling, there's accusation of God, but the root cause of it is you did not trust God. Now we fast forward to the New Testament. By the time we come to the New Testament, Jesus, right, Joshua, Jesus, same meaning, God saves. He now leads us not into anywhere else, but this thing he kept preaching, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was to live under the kingship of Jesus. And under the kingship of Jesus, he will lead us to the new heavens and the new earth, a new garden, a new city, a new Jerusalem. And the passage for this is Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. So Jesus has called the 12 disciples. He sends them out to Israel and says, I send you out to Israel to do exactly what I've been doing. Please expect to be hated because of me. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, do not be, therefore be as shrewd as snakes, as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. So the first place of the first place of hostility is among their Jewish religious authorities. Verse 18, the second place in which you find hostility and enmity, if you are a Jew who believes in Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord, on my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings because they were colonised people as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say and how to say it. At that time, You'll be given what to say, for it will be you speaking. Not, it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Right? I just want to make a side point about verse 19 and 20. In some Christian circles, they use this in terms of, if that's true, the Spirit of God has come in us, you don't ever need to prepare for preaching. You just stand up every week and the Holy Spirit will speak. Right? So there's no need for preparation for Bible study, for discipleship groups. There's no need for preparation. I want to say to you, these two verses has to do with you being in prison, not about preaching. <laughs> it's quite important. So by all means, we've got to prepare the Word of God, right? And so the Spirit, notice if you're thrown in prison, 
You were thrown in prison. You feel that your human experience, you are all alone. You have been abandoned. You are cut off from everybody else. But Jesus tells the disciples, if you are ever thrown in prison because of me, notice you are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. You are not forsaken because my spirit is with you. And because my spirit is with you, I am with you. Because though I sit at the right hand of God, my spirit is in you. If I am with you, my Father, is a totally Trinitarian statement. That though we get persecuted and thrown in prison, we are never forgotten, never forsaken. The day will come for us in which you might find yourself alone because you stand up for Jesus. And then you have to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, you are never forgotten, you are never forsaken. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father is child, and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not go, will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And he goes on. The student is not above the teacher. That means Jesus is the master. He's the master teacher. He's the rabbi. If you follow him, if he was persecuted, you will be persecuted. If he suffered, we will suffer. Simply, we have faith in him. It's enough for a servant to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the household has been called Beelzebub, so they wrongly accuse him. The only reason he can do all these things is because he's aligned, he's in joint venture and partnership with the devil. And Jesus says to them, I'm clearly, my authority and my power comes from God. And you are so ungodly as to deny that my power comes from God. You have one last shot. You're so desperate that you say, I'm aligned with the devil. And if the religious leaders were willing to call him, that he's in partnership with the devil, he will call us who believe in him that we are in partnership with darkness. And here is the punchline, the similarity between Joshua and Jesus, the final Joshua. So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, hidden that will not be made known. So in other words, don't be afraid. Keep speaking the good news. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, small-town boy. He is God's Christ. Jesus, who would soon die on the cross, He is the Christ, but the suffering Christ. Do not be ashamed of Him. I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid, second time. Of those who kill the body, please distinguish between the temporary and the eternal. 70 years on earth, 80 years max on earth, 90 years is nothing compared to zillions of years, infinity with God. Always choose infinity with God. Always choose eternity with God. Never choose your 40, 50 years on earth. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of one who can destroy soul and body in hell. Number one preacher of hell? Jesus. Number one preacher of heaven? Jesus. Gives you the choice. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? How many of you know what a sparrow looks like? How many of you know what a crow looks like? I know, they're all birds. Do you know? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. So sometimes you see the dead carcass of an animal, a rat, a bird, anything. And Jesus getting you to ask, does God know about that? God knows about that. Really? He knew about that one? Yeah. And even your very hairs of your head are all numbered. All who are balding, take heart. So third time, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever is ashamed of me and disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So at the heart of salvation is stop being a man-pleaser and a man-fearer, and by faith in Jesus, become a God-pleaser and a God-fearer. 
by following Jesus at all costs. A few things to learn as we now draw out the lesson, specifically in regards to, to fear. So the sources of fear, Jesus, as a, the most honest salesman, inviting them to follow him as king into his kingdom, to eternity with God, says, you will face, as fellow Jews, persecution from the most unthinkable people. You would think that your religious leaders would say, wow, you found the Messiah. We also believe in Jesus as Messiah. They will say to you, you believe in Jesus as Messiah? You are a heretic. He was a liar. So they call, they belong to the way. So all believers in Jesus, we will be religiously incorrect. First century it was true, now it's true. We will secondly be politically incorrect. We are religiously incorrect and politically incorrect because we believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. There are not many roads to Rome. There are not many roads to the true and holy God. There is only one way, the death and resurrection, the goodness of the Lord Jesus and by simple surrender of your life in faith and obedience. So family persecution, how many of you have faced family persecution? Lightning rod issue in the UK is Brexit. Will they get it done by December 12th? You should tune in to some of the parliamentary debates and say we must never follow them. So confused, my goodness. The lightning rod issue is Donald Trump in America. Lightning rod issue in, in Hong Kong is you're either pro-democracy or you're pro-Beijing. And that could divide, that could divide, that could divide families. Lightning rod in Jewish families was Jesus. Imagine a dinner meal. You believe in Jesus? Are you mad? He's a mad man. He came and he went. He was just a mad man. He got his powers from the devil. You believe in Jesus? You're out of this house. Last week we had Stephen Patch. And I thought I'll show you a live version of a modern Jewish man who has chosen to believe in Christ and they still face ostracization today. And today, even for us, when we believe here in Singapore, here in Malaysia, here in Southeast Asia, here in Asia, some of us, parents from different religious backgrounds, will give us a hard time. I just went to speak at our children's church teachers' retreat, and they drew lots of, you draw lots of who should come out and share their salvation testimony. Very fair, right? right? God knows who will come out. And this lady drew up. And as she believed in Christ, the father was livid, mad at her cut her allowance and said to her, don't you ever share this with your siblings. You are the eldest, I'm not wrong. And so it does happen. Believing in Jesus is a lightning rod issue that divides up family and says, all men will hate you because of me. So lessons of fear from Joshua to Jesus. Number one, when we choose to live without God and choose not to listen to His word, and fulfill His will. When we choose not to take part in the three Ps, the promises of God, the good promises, for the people of God, fulfilling His purpose, that only one person should be rightly worshipped and praised and glorified. That is what the kingdom of God means. We will degenerate, we will take life into our own hands, and when you become king of your own life, queen of your own life, you'll, be, you'll degenerate into a series of fears and phobias. So whenever you choose to take your life into your own hands, it's not whether you have fears, it's when and how big and how long and how deep and how many. And we would be deluded to think that you and I will have no fears and no anxieties in life. So is that you? That's why you look the way you do? The fear is written all over your face? Fear is written all over my face? Living without God? Is that you and me? Very important to us. So, fear is a great enemy to discipleship. Fear is a great enemy to partaking in God and His Word and His will, in His promises and His purposes for His people. It disqualified the whole generation of Moses. Moses wanted to enter. He believed in God, but his generation simply failed to believe in God. Then it took Joshua that would take them in into that land. Fear was the decisive factor. So please take note that not simply fear is a human enemy to discipleship, 
Fear is a great tool that the devil uses against people in general and God's people specifically. Because if he can use fear to drive a wedge, a divide, he can use fear to drive doubt between God and you, or should I say, between us and God, then he will use it. That is why persecution is the most rough tool of the devil. It's the crudest tool of the devil. It's to strike fear in your heart. And we've got to work out, fear of the unknown is a great tool to kill our faith in a known, knowing, and a knowable God. So from the time I saw this poster about 30, 40 years ago, when I entered the Christian bookshop, do not fear the future. Why? God is already there. That one needs that kind of voice. So why do you fear the future? You fear the future simply because it's unknown. So why fear the unknown? Because it's unknown. It's illogical, right? Why should you fear the unknown? And God tells you He's already there. He told them that to Israel. I went before you in the past. I set you free from Egypt. I'll go before you to set you free. This is the holy war you physically have to fight, but it's a war that I will fight and defeat your enemies. But they never trusted God in that. So fear of the unknown is a great tool to kill off faith in a known God. Is that you? You have the future? My mind always goes back to, so we are six weeks towards Christmas, seven weeks towards New Year's Eve, December 31st. Is that right? Before a new year and a new decade opens up, it's going to be an exciting year. You know why? Simply because of the numbers. 2020. Very exciting. New decade. 2020. Ever pondered that? 2020 is a wonderful year. Right? So we're having a staff meeting, talking about what plans to have, what programs to have for New Year's Eve dinner, December 31st, that we always have. Gathered together so that we look back and give thanks to God for everything in our hearts, in our homes, in our private lives, in our public lives, in our work life, we give thanks to God. And Reverend John Thing says, I better go, Reverend John Thing, the oldest pastor among us, and he's now retired, returned to Sydney to be with his family. He was already in his 70s. He says, I better go to this uh, New Year's Eve dinner because I don't know whether I'm going to live to see the next one. And then there's nervous laughter among all the pastors because John had motor neuron disease, he had prostate cancer, he had heart failure, he suffered depression. And any of those things could have taken his life. So as I say to you, future, future, how far is your future? Do you think you live to this Christmas? I have no idea. Thank God they stopped PMDs. Because the way some people are right, the fatalities and the accidents, you just have to ask the doctors in the A&E, the, the, the accidents and the injuries are quite serious. You have to ask SCDF when the battery blows up and burns down a HDB flat, not just your own, but your neighbours. They say, if this is going to be a national thing, my goodness, we've got a lot of fires to put out. You going to survive this Christmas? I don't know. Will I be there? I hope to be. I'm the speaker. Will I be there for New Year's Eve? I hope to be there. I'm also the assigned speaker. By the grace of God, I will arrive there. By the grace of God, you will arrive at anything. Why fear the future? Fear God. The God of the future. When you fear anything more than God, you are an idolater. When you fear anyone or anything more than God, you are an idolater. When anyone or anything controls you, affects you more than God and His Word, you are an idolater. I'm idolater. Worship means God's word has the loudest say in my heart, in my mind, in my life. God's voice speaks the loudest to me. It's louder than anybody who has traumatized my life. So fear, great enemy to discipleship, disqualified Moses' generation, great tool of the devil, fear of the unknown is a killer. Paralyzes you. But God is already there. In deciding many issues in life, I give you this. The more or less formula. The more or less discernment. Right? When things go wrong in life, when things go wrong in a relationship, right, use this as a tool, as a thinking cap. As a tool, as a thinking cap. When relationships break down, marriages break down, families break up, let's say you've got a straying spouse 
you got a strange spouse, this marriage broke down. It's more him or her that is straying and less me. It's more of him or her that's straight and less of me. Nothing wrong with my body. Nothing wrong with my faithfulness. Nothing wrong with my performance as a husband, as a wife. More or less. If you don't think that rightly, with a strange spouse, you think of yourself, you look in the mirror, am I so unattractive? Am I so bad as a wife? Am I so poor as a husband? You should ask those questions, but no matter what, when the sin happens, it's more the strange spouse than me. So, when fear strikes us, ask the question. For Moses' generation, it was more about their fears. It was their rebellion in their hearts. It was their grumbling in their tents. It was their accusation that God hates us. It was their man-made fears. You listen to this report instead of listening. Yes, the land is bountiful, as God promised. No, that's one report, one side of the report. The other side is, yeah, the people there are really huge. They are really like NBA players. And the walls are really rock solid. Nothing's going to knock them down. You hear two things. Which one do you choose to hear? Good land, as the good Lord promised, or the land we can never conquer? But God said, you must conquer. It's less about the size of their enemies. It's about the size of their faith. It's less about the size of their faith. It's the size of their God. It's not the size of their faith. That they could miniaturize God to be smaller than a human enemy. It's honey, I shrunk the kids. So Jesus' warning, right? By the time Jesus turns up, they're going to face the persecution from religious sources, political sources. Family itself may be split up. In fact, expect this simply because you believe in Jesus. Hostility from all mankind. It was more about the objects of their faith. And so Jesus strengthens them and says to them, I will die, I will rise, I will no longer be with you. You will feel forgotten, you will feel forsaken, beginning with the twelve, or may I say the eleven, minus Judas. But you must never reach the conclusion, I, Jesus, ever forsakes my people. I love my people to death. Literally, that's true. Literally, that's true. I love my people to death. And upon my death, upon my resurrection, I will send out the Spirit of God. So more or less, ask yourself when you go through a fierce season, more about us, less about God. Was it God that struck you with that fear? Or is it you and me that have chosen not to trust Him in this moment? In this moment. So our life and death choice, every day when you wake up and throughout the day, moment by moment, you have to decide, I have to decide. That fear comes from hearing men's words and men's voices. And faith, the Bible tells us very clearly, comes from the hearing of God's Word. Is that true? Absolutely true. That fear comes from hearing men's words. So from morning to night, if you turn this on, and 99% of what you listen to is men's opinions and men's comments about life in Singapore, about life in Hong Kong, about life in the UK, about life anywhere, surely fear will be your first and foremost experience. But you turn up God's Word and you read wherever you live, Surely faith and trust and peace will be the experience of a child of God. So how might this work? For a child going to school, and as early as primary three, primary four, the child may have friends around him or her that is calling her, you're very useless, right? You're very slow, right? You can't play any sports, right? You are really useless, right? Nobody wants to friend you. Don't be part of our team. Don't join us. For five days a week, he's hearing the voices of men. If nobody speaks into the heart of that child, the mind of the child, beginning with his Christian parents, the Word of God, that child is going to drown in the words of men. Then you hit your teenage days, and you go to JC, you go to IT, you go to university, and our world is so caught up with image, body image. Whether you're pretty enough, handsome enough, whether you're muscular enough, whether you're thin enough, whether you are enough. And then you have the wrong body image. You'll never make it in life. Day by day, as you walk into your JC, your poly and your university, 
You hear the message, you're fat, you're ugly, you're unacceptable. You may be brainy, but you, are, you don't make it. You don't make it in terms of looks. If nobody speaks into your heart and your mind that you are wonderfully and fearfully made by God, that your body is beautiful because God made you this way, you're going to walk around with a very distorted body image. And you're going to have eating disorders. Right? Then when you're old, so all those older than me, above 65, hands up, never mind. Above 65, what starts to happen? One week, left eye cannot see. Oh, cataract. Next week, right eye, cataract. This week, left knee, need to go for knee replacement. Next month, right knee. We call it the spare part season of life. When you reach the spare part season of life, what do you spend time googling? What websites? You self-prescribe. You self-diagnose. You self-prescribe. Every moment that you're free, you're looking at which part of your body is breaking down. You got a lot of information from Mr. Google, no? And Weibo, all put in. All put in. You listen to that long enough, you're going to reach depression, elderly depression. If nobody comes along and says to you, Hiya, it's all part of aging, la. come on, let's just go and... Never mind. <laughs> you get what I'm saying to you? Every moment of your life, you have to choose. That fear comes from the hearing of man's words. And faith comes from the hearing of God's word. So out of a hundred conversations that you hear, a hundred, ten things that you read, if I could say, out of ten thoughts, can you tell me the ten thoughts, where do they come from? I bet you, if God's word doesn't occupy 10% of your mind, 20% of your mind, how can we walk in faith and live in peace? So, fear today, definitions of anxiety. We run a mental wellness ministry. We began it last year. This year, we launched four things. The first one, a workshop on depression. Second one, a workshop on anxiety. I took most of the notes from one of our practitioners, a psychiatrist here. Right? So, the third one was on internet addiction. The fourth one was on suicide. Just, we just conducted it. And many people came. They were helped. So a definition of anxiety, clinically, anticipatory fear in response to perceived internal threats or external dangers. Internal threats or external dangers. Then it goes on. Don't try to read the table. Anxiety disorders are common probably the commonest of all mental disorders. At least this is the state of mental unwellness among the psychiatrists and psychologists in Singapore. That anxiety is probably the commonest of all mental disorders. And that's why there's a need to address this, friends, because we all have deep, primal, unsorted-out fears. So causes of anxiety could be biological, Genetic, it could be a chemical imbalance, it could be hyper-nervous. So genetic, so you could belong to a family where there's very strong genetic line of weak hearts, of heart disease. By all means, recognize that. There's a very strong genetic line of you having kidney failure, very strong genetic line of cancer. Same could be that some of us are more prone. So there are 300 of us here in this service. Let's go downstairs and help the children's church teachers teach the children. Example, I'll call this service to an end. Let's go downstairs. I give a class of 10 children. In the class of 10 children, what kind of characteristics might you find? You might find among the 10 children, two of them, maybe one of them, really brave. So I've told you this story before, right? I met this couple. That my son, from the time he was born, right, fearless, totally fearless, runs around from young, right, glass door, just runs through the glass door. Once he ran through the glass door and really, you know, like a cartoon, pyang, the shape was there. He survived it. He was stitched up. He cried a little bit by stitch up. They knew as parents that he would be a commando. He ended up a commando. He really did. I'm not kidding you. Then of the 10 children downstairs, you go down there, there'll be some who from young have an extra dose of timidity, an extra dose of sensitivity. That the whole class is disciplined because of this naughty boy. But after they cannot discipline, he forgets it. But the extra sensitive fellow, he comes back. <laughs> he didn't do the wrong. The fellow did the wrong. 
but he's crying to his mother. Right? He's an extra thing of that. And so you have that psychological stress, conflict, modeling, social losses, hardest funerals for me to, to conduct. Stillborn babies, babies who die soon after birth, very hard. Hardest funerals to conduct. Young fathers, young mothers, living behind young children. So I just did one with the boy, the son, seven years old, primary one. Father died of a fierce cancer that took him within three months of diagnosis. Before I get up to preach at Mandai, in one of the halls, I sing the song with him. Right? I get down to his level, get down to his level, and sing the song with him. I don't know about tomorrow, I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from... I'm trying to explain to him in between the lines. Your dad has passed away, but he believes in Jesus is going to heaven. And God is going to look after you. God's going to look after you. But some who have gone through and lost their parents when they were seven years old, ten years old, right? That loss was struck significant fear because the future looked totally bleak. Totally bleak. As they had to go and live with an uncle or auntie or live by the combined help of the extended family. And sometimes as they grow up in their 40s and 50s, they have that primal fear still in them. Sometimes a loss in life cripples us. And so we need to know, when does a normal dose, if you could draw a bell curve, is there such a thing as a bell curve of anxiety? If you could draw a normal bell curve, when does anxiety become a mental disorder? When does it become a disease that needs to be treated medically with medicine? And here's a possibility. Anxiety becomes a disorder when it is disproportionate to the real danger. So it's DCI, disproportionate, continuation, and then interference. Then long after the danger has passed, there's the continuation of that fear. And then the fear now starts to intervene, interfere, with the normal way of thinking, your healthy way of thinking, and your healthy way of living and your relationships. So I give you the number one in Singapore. You are sleeping. All of a sudden, you feel something cold. Pyak! Lizard fell on your forehead. <laughs> For some of us, it's a nothing. For many of us, it is a something. As the lizard pyak on your forehead, guess what? The body ran in one direction, the tail fell off and fell into your ear. <laughs> ah! You scream like anything, right? And your parents rush into your room. And your parents, one of them, so happened to be a brave father like Christian. <laughs> so I run in. And my keen eye spots that lizard. And I run after that lizard without its tail and I smack it. And I kill it. It's smattered all over. I prove to you, look, it's dead. The child continues screaming, ah! Continuation. The danger has passed, but you keep on screaming. Then we put you to sleep, we gave you a Coke, or, no, so, we gave you something to drink, and you come down and you slap. The moment you wake up tomorrow, uh, the next morning, ah, lizard, it's interfering with your life. You get it? That's just a small, light-hearted example, but you could take it into with anyone or anything. The fear that you felt was totally disproportionate to the danger the actual danger it posed to you. Then there's the continuation of it long after you left that situation. Then there's the interference. This fear is the number one repeating, controlling thought. It repeats and controls you more than anything else in the world. That's probably when you need medical help. And no shame or shyness and no stigma in this, friends, because if you bury this and carry on, is going to come and haunt you and cripple your life and then affect people around you and me. So, adjustment disorder. Symptoms of anxiety may occur in response to a stressful life event. Example of a stressful life event, changing school, starting a new job, changes, change management and transition stress is very great. Beginning national service in Singapore, getting married, having children, each one of them, 
So changing schools, right? Maybe generically, boys cope better. Girls maybe harder because girls are, you know, the way God wired women, they are very tightly bound. They are very relational. They are very emotional in that way. So when they change schools and they're the only one, they left all the primary school friends behind after PSLE, they go to a new school. It's a massive adjustment. Massive. But with the guys generally across the board, you go to a new school, here I got ball or not? Go, go, okay, okay, okay. I got some friends already. Not every boy is like that. Some don't make it. If you're not sporty, you don't make it. It's a stressful situation. Don't just say, I was once your age. I changed four schools. Look at me, I'm robust. Right? <laughs> your child is different to you. Right? Starting a new job. We, we are blessed with many weddings here in NRPC, 30, 40 weddings a year. Right? So hundreds of weddings over the years. But I just want to say something to all of us across the board. From Ashus. Don't try to do too many things at one go. Every Singaporean couple gets married, must buy a house, right? And then renovate it to be perfect house. HDB, BTO, right? Whatever condominium or your house your parents gave you, etc. You stress, stress, stress. So you stress yourself with the renovation, quarrel, quarrel with contractor, quarrel, quarrel with your husband, uh, your, your boy, your, your fiancé. Then by the time you make the vows, you're wondering, hey, why uh? are we getting married? Uh? Actually, we disagree about the colour, disagree about the furniture, disagree about everything. Why are we getting married? It's a nightmare. Why you bring so many stresses? Then for some people, you get married, you change job, and your job go overseas. You got four things at one time. Why do you undergo four changes at one time? Because we are Singaporeans. <laughs> we excel in all things. Why do that? Your body cannot take the stress. You can only take one stress. When Christian married Mona, big enough change. One sinner, two sinners, quite different. One sinner living with yourself, already problem. Two sinners living together, double the problem. In the Old Testament, when you get married, they give you one year to adjust. You know that? Never mind. <laughs> so don't stress yourselves out. Because life changes are very stressful. Right? Then phobias, they go for the social one. A social phobia, fear of scrutiny by others, hence social situations avoided, eating in public, standing in queue, what people think of, panic disorder, recurrent attacks, severe anxiety, secondary fears of dying. When you get a panic attack, you feel like dying, you're losing control, you feel like going mad. Attacks last only a few minutes, patients experience a crescendo of fears and autonomic symptoms. Comparative freedom between attacks, but still you're anticipating when the next attack might be. So I could go on. We'll, we'll post this up because it's un, under our mental wellness ministry resources and, a, and our medical pro professionals are open to put this up together with my pastoral perspective. When do these things appear? The age of consent, specific fears, specific phobias start in childhood. OCD, childhood to teenage. Social phobias, a lot of them from teenage years. Panic disorders, teens to young adults to adults. Agoraphobia, GAD. Females slightly greater than males. So what does that mean? Impact often leads to secondary depression, then often associated with suicide. Please take note. Somebody just came back from Australia, brought me back the Australian newspapers, they know I'm a newspaper man. Mental wellness costs $180 billion to the economy. I do not know how much it costs here. But when you add up mental unwellness, there's a social cause because you can't work. You've got to see counsellors. You've got to see psychiatrists. The marriage is not doing well. The family is breaking up. There are huge things for us to ponder, friends. So overcoming fear, a choice of two fears. In the Bible, God calls us to a holy fear, a reverent fear. It's an activating fear, not a paralyzing fear. You fear God, you'll be able to march out and take part in His holy war. Doesn't root you to your seat. Doesn't paralyze you, doesn't immobilize you, activates you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So fear, I got this acronym years ago. The acronym is false evidence appearing real. Don't you think it's quite good? I think it's quite good, beginning with lizard and cockroach. It's a very small thing, 
Why does it paralyze you? And so life without God, at that moment when the thing strikes you, God totally disappeared. The lizard strikes you, you forgot that God is in control of that lizard, of that cockroach. The moment something happens with your boss, right, we become a bundle of fears in our life. Two ways to live. Life is a series of phobias. Life is a series of trust. So you have fear moments, faith moments. And in a fear moment, you pray, you read yourself out of fear. You bring God into that fear moment. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And not even the very hairs of your head are they all not numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Simple formula if you take nothing away from today. Sovereignty cures anxiety. To be specific, God's sovereign love for Christian, using myself, God's sovereign protection, provision, and power saves me from all human anxiety. Amen? That's how the Lord Jesus lived. If you want to see the most fearless man who ever lived, the most fearless man who ever lived, I call him God's divine fear buster. The truly wise man, because he feared God and did not fear men, and did not fear life, and did not fear anything that would do to him in life, because he trusted every moment of his life to God, and he trusted even his death to God. So we sing a song and the lyrics go, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands. Amen? Choose this for your funeral. This is the power of Christ in me. So the full lyrics of this paragraph, no guilt in life because Jesus is my high priest. No fear in death because Jesus is my resurrection. No power of hell because Jesus has defeated the devil. No scheme of man because Jesus has conquered man can ever pluck me from his hand. This is the power of Christ in me. So no longer fear men. No longer fear life. No longer fear death. The ultimate is Jesus Christ. So a holistic approach that we give to each other in our discipleship groups was feed your mind with good fear, the fear of God. The fear of God will get you to, to be rid of the fear of men, the fear of life. Emotional, starve your heart of fear moments. Every time the, the fear moment comes up, you, together with fellowship of others, deal with that moment relationally, Fellowship your way out of this. Can I encourage us as Christians not to take part in Halloween, which is now a bigger and bigger festival. And in some places, Halloween is bigger than Christmas. And we think it's a joke. I just came back from a short holiday in Japan and Halloween's become bigger and bigger. It has nothing to do with Japanese culture. It has nothing to do with Singaporean culture. Why are we promoting this thing called Halloween, which is now becoming bigger than Christmas for the life of us? And can I encourage you, if you're a believer in God, don't go and watch horror movies. You're already scared enough, right? Then you go and watch, then you come back, more scared. Then, Pastor Chris, got time for me or not? <laughs> I got time for you, but I got, I got other things also. So don't scare yourself, lah, right? If you're not scared, I'll catch some cockroaches and lizards for you, right? Physical exercise your way out of this. You know, we are so imbalanced. One-track mind, 12 hours of work. You, you expect to be physically well, mentally well, spiritually well, emotionally well? No. So I want to ask, how many of you exercise regularly? By that, I mean, right? By that, I don't mean how many of you exercise once a year. That's also regular. How many of you exercise regularly? More than once a year, more than twice a year, more than four times a year. How many of you exercise every week? Hands up. You know, I did the survey at Saturday service, less than 10%. Maybe they were shy. I do not know if I don't go out for my three, four walks a week, my three, four runs a week, I feel my stress level build up, I feel my anxiety get to me. If I don't go out there and connect with waters and hills, and botanic gardens and plants, when I see greenery, my body gets a high. Do you get high from looking at greenery? I'm not weird. You are weird. We should get high by looking at creation. 
If you get high by looking at gadget, you are weird. You should get high by looking at creation. Anything that's out there, you see a beautiful sea, you see a hill, a mountain, you see a butterfly, you see a bird, it should make you high. Because God made you wonder at creation. Creation should bring you back to creator. So a Jesus person with new habits, personal testimony. So one morning, I've shared this before, but just in case you've forgotten, I woke up, I don't know, it's 1 a.m., 2 a.m. I woke up with a great itch in my ear. And then I thought, there's something in my ear, an insect in my ear, maybe even a worm, and it's crawling, it's crawling, I think it's going to my brain. And if it gets to my brain, I'm going to go, go into, a, into a coma. And I felt a panic. I didn't want to wake Mona, so I ran out from my home, right, in my boxes, in my T-shirt, right out to the car park here, because I live at the back of the church. I spent that time just praying to God, praying to God. But I felt like, uh, this, I, I'm dying. I took off my shirt. The security yard next door must have been wondering, are you okay or not? I was out there for an hour. I finally come down. I went back. Mona woke. Where were you? I said, I don't know. I felt this itch. I thought it was something in my ear. It was, I thought it was crawling in my brain. And it really... Uh, so she said, it's all right. It's all right. Okay. I'll pray for you. And then she stroked me, prayed for you. Notice, uh, my wife was incarnational. She didn't say to me, how old are you, Chris? You're 50-something already, right? Who are you? You're a pastor, right? You've been a Christian how many years? 40 years, right? You're not just pastor, no, you're senior pastor. There's nothing in your ear, okay? It's all your imagination. Please don't wake me up anymore. She didn't say that. She's a loving wife. She said, where, where? Where's the itch? Is it there? She looked into my ear. Right? Is it there? That's, you never pretend away. You never say to the person, get out of it. Right? And so she prayed and spoke the words of God and prayed and spoke the words of God and I fell asleep. Once I was flying, on a sudden I felt a panic on that flight. Couldn't breathe. I was having a bout of flu. Couldn't breathe. Couldn't breathe. Panic. And seatbelt sign still on. Seatbelt sign still on. I have to get out. I have to get out. Mona, I have to get out. I have to get out. Right? And uh, finally seatbelt sign off. I got up and again, I don't know, it's maybe my phobia. I, I felt like I had to take off my shirt. <laughs> it was so hot, I couldn't breathe. Right? So hot. So I unbuttoned myself from top to bottom, fanned myself, walked up and down the aisle, walked up and down the aisle, praying to God, praying to God. They thought I was a bit, I don't know. Finally sat down, finally sat down. Again, Mona sat with me. So what is it? I don't know. Couldn't breathe, couldn't breathe. She just stroked me, prayed with me. Always bring your wife along. <laughs> Always. For those of us who are married. Right? Incarnational, step by step. And you fellowship your way out of this. For the life of me, I don't know what came upon me. You ask anybody in any circle at any time in Christian circles, if you want to address something clearly or boldly, you ask Chris. And he will speak about it as clearly as boldly if he's convicted about it. Known to be fearless. And this came upon me like a boat out of nowhere. So I take it, spiritual attack. Whatever it is, my friends, please pray for us as pastors that the work that we do is not an easy work. We have enemies within the church. We have enemies outside the church. That is a lesson from Nehemiah to Jesus. Whenever you want to do God's work, you've got enemies along the way. And please don't treat us as part of the furniture. I need, you need me to pray for you as much as I need you to pray for me. Amen? And together we can overcome all the fears that beset us from the hands of Satan, telling us that faith in God is not true. When faith in God is the truest, purest experience for a child of God. Amen? And so, as we turn to Jesus, the ultimate fear buster, God does not see in us an anxious person, but a beloved child suffering a season of anxiety or a medical bout of anxiety. And God loves us, and God will take us out of this by trusting in His Spirit and trusting in His Word. So moving forward, rejecting the world's fears and claiming God's love, a recipient 
and a channel of this. Let's stand, pray together, and sing this closing song. We want to confess willingly and humbly that we choose to live our lives without you, without listening to your word and walking outside your will. We slowly but surely become a bundle of fears. That is indeed life outside the Garden of Eden, outside your promises, outside your purposes. But we thank you for Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord, who showed in his life that he was the truly wise one, the epitome of the wise one who feared you and loved you all his life, even to the point of his sacrificial death. So, Lord Jesus, we turn to you and know that all who believe in you are never forgotten and forsaken, but have the presence and the power of your Spirit. And we pray through the presence and power of your Spirit as we live in fellowship with each other, you will help us to be a shining light of a divine bravery and divine courage that is un deniable and inexplicable but surely comes from faith in you in jesus mighty name we pray that we will be a witness to a fearful world amen